Hey, all you multi-dimensional travelers and ghost clowns. Welcome back to another episode of your favorite podcast, That Would Be Rad. A podcast that majors in 80s and 90s nostalgia, comic culture, all things paranormal, and minors in retro video games, tabletop RPGs, pre-internet mysteries, and raising our kids to be half as cool as we were back in the 80s. We're your hosts, Woody Brown and Tyler Benz. How's it going, dude? Hey, brother man. Uh, it's going pretty good, dude. Cool. Um, you know, just uh, like we were kind of talking about earlier today on the phone, spring is here. Mm-hmm. The flowers are blooming. Oh, yeah. And uh, I'm getting kind of punched in the throat by my uh, my allergies. Yikes. Mm-hmm. Mm. No fun, man. No fun. Yeah, I think I was telling you earlier that it's weird. It's like one year they'll just be awful, and it's like every single day it's hitting me. But then other years, it's like it just doesn't doesn't even phase me at all. I will say, though, speaking of allergies, for everybody out there, we had Woody and his wife, Anne, and myself and my wife, uh, Courtney. We had a game night where we played Cranium, mm-hmm. and, uh, man, being around that cat of yours, boy. <laughs> Now that kills my allergies. Yeah, man, game night was awesome, dude. Like, um, it was cool because we played it a couple different ways. First, it was uh, guys versus girls, mm-hmm. and then it was we kind of like switched up couples. So me and your wife were a team, and mm-hmm. you and my wife were a team, and then uh, then we switched again, and my wife and I were a team, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you and your wife were a team. Which I've got to say, your wife and myself are a real triple threat. We're awesome. Yeah, but like, hold on. Take take that team. Yeah. Versus like me and you as a team. Yeah, that's true. Come on, man. That's true. That's true. I, I mean, let's just you know, like, whenever I drew the bike with the training wheels, bam, you would have gotten that. Oh yeah, that is true. It it is weird. I I think there is something about, uh, and th- this kind of ties in with this too. So, like lately, so my wife and I have never watched uh, Survivor. I know our old bass player Boo Boo and his family. You know, they would. They would was like, that their show? Yeah, they would like set the, the timer on the TV and like it was like a big deal. But we've never watched it. I always thought it was just kind of cheesy and, you know, reality TV, whatever. But we recently started watching it and th- that ties in with this is like there's, there's something really interesting to me about and obviously there's some anomalies and like it's not, you know, dead set. But I, I think there's it's interesting to see the difference in men versus women as far as like like problem solving and like on you know on survivor it's like like puzzles and these sort of type of things but it was really clear the other night at game night with like they would get like the girls would get certain things right that would blow our minds we would be like how did they just do that but then but then they would totally miss stuff that you and I would be looking at each other like how did you like how did yeah, you miss no. that it's it's yeah. really interesting just the way like the the male to female mind is sort of mm-hmm. you know well I up. love how that game's designed too because you know you can be good at a couple of different things but man some of the stuff that'll pop up you're like what mm-hmm. in the world and we had some like crazy moments that I just like pulled things out of thin air man. oh dude uh, 
Well, I got to say, it's funny because, so Ann, Woody's wife, and myself are like, we're both great at spelling. We're both a real sort of encyclopedic knowledge on like a lot of random stuff and like music and songs. And like, so we should have won, but, and during this game that Woody was with my wife, Courtney, but like, I don't, it, it was insane. Like the miracles, stuff. Miracles, man. It was miracles. miraculous. Like, I don't know how you guys got any of this stuff, but you guys just totally slaughtered us. Yeah, it was awesome. Pretty amazing. And then, you know, of course, we were just talking trash the whole time. Like, that's what happens when you have victory, when you're, when you've got victory in your blood. I mean, just stupid stuff. <laughs> that's such a great game. Yeah, it is a fun game. It's cool because it kind of like incorporates so many games into one. Like, in, you know, Ann and I were kind of talking. It's like, well, should we get like, you know, a different game for another? And we're like, no. No. Because if it's just like Pictionary, that kind of gets old a little bit. Well, um, don't think we didn't try to. Uh... Oh, <laughs> to man. I mean, the whole day or two leading up to game night, I would just essentially copy and paste. I took a picture of like a Dungeons and Dragons like module box or whatever, and Mm -hmm. I would just like post it in the text thread like nonstop. Hey guys, just in case you didn't get it, I mean, here's a game that I think we could (laughs) we can kind of probably probably play. Fling, 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 and just like constantly text them. And and both of our wives were pretty adamant about not uh, yeah not doing it. I was thinking that it could it could work. I think that if if I, I knew that it wouldn't. <laughs> well, I mean, I partially did too, but I, I think that that if if Anne wasn't so like like hard no on it, I think mm-hmm. you could probably convince Courtney to do it. Yeah, maybe so. Speaking of Dungeons and Dragons, man, we also met with one of our buddies who is going to be joining our Dungeons and Dragons group yeah. as we go into this new uh, new campaign. And man, that was awesome because like he and not to we're not going to get super into it here but he uh is gonna be a sorcerer mm-hmm. and you know it's funny once once you kind of like mentally choose what you want to be and what you want to play in the game mm-hmm. like what you want your player to be you really just kind of focus on that and research the heck out of it and you don't really pay attention to anything else yeah. and so when he was kind of when we were helping him create his character i i had zero knowledge like at all about the sorcerer class and just like to learn all that new stuff oh, is awesome is super exciting and mm-hmm. he's gonna man it's gonna be so awesome to have him on board man yeah the cool thing about you know and again i we probably just lost half the listens just the second we started talking about <laughs> dnd <laughs> but uh the interesting thing is there's like what he was saying there's just there's so much that's just involved with it that once you kind of pick your class if you're like okay i want to be an elf uh wizard then I mean, you could spend all your time just looking into that stuff, and and you still would never learn it all. But like, what's cool about D and D, and like, this is kind of what Woody was talking about, is like, in the old days, I think it was easier just to say, okay, well, I'm going to be a wizard, and that just means, you know, this sort of Gandalf archetype. You know, you cast spells, you have a big hat, you have a staff and a beard, and like the end. Well, some of the things that we learned when we were doing this is like, you know, th- there's a difference. So you have your your standard wizard, which is somebody who, you know, pours over old, like, tomes of knowledge and and old books and, you know, scrolls found in, like, dungeons and yada, yada, yada. And they're, they spend all their, they're very sort of academic with it. Like, they're always studying and trying to learn all these new things. And then you have your sorcerer who, whether it's caused by, like, being part of a certain bloodline or something that, that uh, like, sort of a, a 
not really a curse, but like a blessing was cast on your, your family lineage or yada, 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 you're born with this sort of innate magical ability. And mm-hmm. then you have a warlock who is uh, basically, you don't have to study anything. You, you basically make a pact with whatever deity. So it's, you know, you make a deal with the devil. And then suddenly you just have endless magical, you know, potential. But it's it's really really cool, just the difference in um, in all that stuff. But yeah, we're we're super excited about uh, our buddy Johnny John Packer joining the fold. I think he's gonna love it. He's a good friend of mine. He's him and I have a comic book that we both wrote, and he's like sort of doing the heavy lifting on the writing, and then I'm doing the artwork and stuff. But um, I think we're actually gonna pitch it to Image here soon. Uh, so that's pretty exciting. But yeah, mm-hmm. Johnny's awesome and. Uh, I definitely want to get him on, get him on the show. He just, he has an amazing knowledge of like, you know, sort of toys and he's like a big collector of like all the Mondo stuff and all that. But then mainly he he has like such a crazy knowledge of Batman the Animated Series and I would love to do an episode on that. Mm -hmm. And he's a bass player. Oh yeah, man. played with us for a while. Man, I I wanted to kind of talk about like some of the stuff we've been watching. Like we we kind of went over it, um, like I said, on the phone, like I've been... Getting back into the Alien movie franchises mm, yeah. and, you know, like all that stuff just, it really still, it still holds up, man. And it's, um, it's just fascinating to me that like, I don't know, I, I no matter what, even the ones that are kind of like lame, there's some lame decisions and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know the franchise as a whole kind of feels watered down, but I still enjoy man. They're just... Just kind of like the Terminator movies. If a Terminator movie comes out, yeah. I'm going to see it. If an Alien movie comes out, I'm going to see it. If a Godzilla movie comes out, like it's coming out this week, I think, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to see it. You yeah. know? They're just entertaining. I'm not expecting a whole lot of uh, Oscar-worthy performances, although I think Sigourney Weaver in the Alien movies is just awesome. Yeah, she's pretty awesome. I mean, what a character, man. Mm-hmm. Ripley. Yeah, and, and we were talking earlier about James Cameron and his you know, love for those big sort of mech yeah, suits. Yeah, like mech warrior suits and stuff. Yeah, that yellow. Uh, what, what's cool about it on Aliens, too, whenever she she busts out that suit, is it's like, I like that it, it wasn't made for, like, battle. It was made as, like, sort mm. of a utility yeah. thing. And that just kind of makes it even cooler. Yeah, he kind of used that same sort of, like, I guess design, technology, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. in, like, Avatar and stuff. You know, he just loves, like, putting humans in big machines and oh, yeah. um, and that kind of stuff. He likes big machines. I mean, he likes uh, monster trucks in the Terminator movies. Mm-hmm. Like every Terminator movie he makes, not Dude. monster trucks, there's like, like semi-truck. 18-wheelers yeah. and like uh, even that newer one that he did. Oh, gosh, what's it called? Is it Genesis? The newest um, one? And it felt like a James Cameron Terminator movie? He, was that the newest one? I think so. I don't know if it's called Genesis or not, but it's like the new, whatever the newest one the is. New one, the newest one was, I thought it was actually really good. Yeah. I think Genesis it, I didn't love. Yeah. I don't remember what it was called, but it's Maybe. like the newer one and James Cameron is the one that did it. And um, it felt like what I would, I kind of wanted like T3 to, mm-hmm. to be, although I did enjoy Claire Danes. Yeah, um, I agree. Uh, real quick before we move on, speaking of uh, like mech suits, the suits that were used in like Avatar, did you ever play with those toys as a kid? They were called Exo Squad. 
I feel like we've talked about them before, and I definitely remember them, but I don't think I had one. It's like straight up like those exact suits. I'm pretty sure the guys at Wizards have have some under under the glass, but oh uh, man, yeah, they're really they were really cool toys, and basically the same thing. You know, it's like a little a little guy in this huge sort of like neck exosuit kind of thing. It's really cool. Yeah. Anything else you've been you've been uh, into I mean, lately? We, and I think we've kind of talked about it on the show before. TV show-wise, The Dragon Prince. Mm, I actually just started watching it, too. So Pretty good. cool, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just like a cool... There's a lot of just, like... There's humor in there. There's, mm. like, actual sort of, like, dramatic um, stuff that happens, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just really, really... It's an animated series. You can watch it on Netflix. I think there's two or three seasons. I'm only, like, kind of maybe just starting in the second season but it's really really cool yeah i uh i started the thing that sucks is like just with my job like drawing and and stuff i've been i'm doing i had to take some design work recently but when i'm drawing i kind of just have it on in the background so i'm sure i'm missing a lot but Mm -hmm. um man one thing about that show that is just amazing is like just some of the like visualization of the way they use like magic and stuff Mm -hmm. i mean it's really really cool like like the way they'll they'll sort of like write these sigils like in the air and then that Mm -hmm. that sort of focuses like the magic it's really cool yeah man love that's really awesome i have actually been so i bought this book years ago just because it has a cool cover and it has like this old sort of wizard on it which is not representative at all of what the actual book's about but it's called old gods waken and it's written by this guy called Manly Wade Wellman, which is an amazing name. Hmm. He's kind of an obscure author, uh, born in like 1909, I think, from West Africa. Hmm. Came over here, uh, became a lawyer, and then became obsessed with like Appalachia and wanting to learn as much as he could about the folklore. So he, I think originally he started out writing sort of you know, your typical science fiction fair and uh, sending it into like Fate magazine and and sort of these, these magazine publications that were like, you know, your kind of typical 50s sci-fi sort of concepts, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then he, he stumbled across, well, several, he, he kind of created several things. So he has one that's like, it's a guy called like John, I can't remember his last name, but he's basically a like a New York socialite in like the 30s and 40s. Like that's the character who like kind of solves crimes and stuff. And uh, it sounds really cool. But my favorite is, and this is this is what the Old God's Waken book is about. It's about this character called Silver John, or he's kind of known as like John the Balladeer. And he's like just this dude who travels around Appalachia and um, like has a guitar with silver strings on it. And he fights all this sort of like, a cult and like, I mean, literally, and, and I found an article where, uh, Mike Mignola who wrote, you know, he writes Hellboy and sort of the, the Mignola verse, like he's pretty much accredited manly Wade Wellman as like, yeah, I'm basically Hellboy is literally the same thing as, as uh, silver John. Hmm. Cause it's kind of these sort of, and like every little book or short story is like, um, you know, you're, you're just kind of like, popping silver john like in this scenario of like you know he's he kind of just roams around appalachia these mountains and like trying to learn like all these old songs and and 
you know, he'll kind of get tangled up in like a, a story of like, okay, well, this family, they let him stay at their house and he's, if he agrees to like play music for him. And, uh, you know, then he comes to find out that there's like this whole like, like cult or these like druids or these like monsters and stuff. But it's, it's just amazing. I mean, a lot of it is a lot of the stuff that like we talk about, but I mean, it's set in the fifties. It was written in the fifties, but it's just, it's an interesting take to see this guy like straight up country Appalachian dude, you know, kind of battling these more sort of high concept, sort of occult adversaries. It's, it, it's amazing. I can't wait mm. for you to read it. So it's like backwoods, Southern oh, yeah. Man- Mandalorian. Yes. Pretty <laughs> he much. plays music. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Like, like there's like, for example, there's one, I think it was one of his first short stories called Vandy Vandy. And it's, it's based off this, I think, uh, an old Appalachian song called Vandy Vandy that it's like this sort of, um, this guy and he kind of keeps, he, he's almost like a vampire almost. He's like immortal, but he keeps kind of like coming back for this family, this like lineage of, you know, every 30 or so years, they'll have like another daughter and then their family will have another daughter and they name her Vandy. And it's like his job to kind of come and like take away and like corrupt that daughter. It's really bizarre, but like, hmm. it's like he'll do this stuff where he'll like, like he'll, he flips a coin over to the main bad guy. I can't remember his name, but you know, he grabs the coin and like freaks out because of silver, you know, and it's just all this really cool stuff. Then he, he like uh, casts this sort of magic thing and there's like a giant George Washington is sort of uh, like, transported there and he like it, it's it's really bizarre and it's really like kind of high concept stuff but it's it's amazing dude i cannot wait yeah. for you to read it and, and it's also, just like a collection of like little stories within that book yeah yeah, there, yeah. anything each chapter kind of or well kind of i mean I, I think he i think he's done a ton of them but the one i'm reading is the old gods awaken is um it's just a, a story within itself i think it's like 200, okay, 200 cool. pages but there's another book called this just called John the Balladeer, and it's it's pretty big, and I think it has all of them. But the thing is, is like they're out of print, so they're almost impossible yeah. to find, and they're pretty expensive. Like my book is like a hundred bucks, and I, you know, I got it for like three dollars at a bookstore. But yeah, that's the thing, man. You got to find those like out of print books at like yeah. used bookstores. That's the key, man. Yeah, it's super cool though, and uh, there's actually a quote that Gary Gygax, when creating Dungeons and Dragons in the old days, Silver John was actually a direct uh, sort of inspiration for his, you know, bard, like the bard, the mm-hmm. class of being a bard. So uh, that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool, man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been reading the, um, you know, I'd, I read like seven of the uh, the Drizzt books, mm. but I after those I bought the Dragonlance Chronicles, mm-hmm. which was yeah. written by Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman back in the eighties, and it's just man. It's interesting because, like, I was, you know, Drizzt takes place in what is called, like, the Forgotten Realms sort right. of world. And, and that's sort of what, like, every uh, edition of D&D right now, like the fifth edition or whatever, that's the world that it, that, it, that it takes place in. Like, all these adventure modules and stuff that they create. Yeah. All these things that's like happen. that's like D and D proper, like yeah, yeah, it happened in the Forgotten Realms. <clears throat> but Dragonlance um, was just one of the worlds, kind of created relatively around the same time. But it's just a whole different sort of world. Same kind of like creatures and stuff, but just mm. different. Think of it as like different 
continents, you know? Right. Well, also, it's very, like, I remember as a kid, uh, I had a couple issues of Dragonlance. DC Comics put out several miniseries or whatever of Dragonlance. Mm -hmm. And, like, the difference between that and, at least then, and uh, sort of Dungeons & Dragons proper was, like, it was more like, like knights and maidens and dragons and a little more like, I don't want to say like surface level fantasy, but yeah. Cause I mean like even within, I think maybe that's the case for like the comics, yeah, but like yeah. in these books, I mean, right out of the gate, you, these like characters have encountered like, I would say more creatures truly really? than, uh, than, the, than what happens in the Drizzt stuff. I mean, wow. in, in Drizzt, especially the original trilogy, you know, they fight some hobgoblins and some mm-hmm. uh, giants and and I think a dragon yeah. and then a wizard. But well, in I these, know, it's like you've got griffins, you've got dragons, you've got um, draconian, like, warriors and lizard men and, like, mm. I mean, just tons and tons of stuff, man. A That's unicorn. Awesome. Um, Maybe it's just, like, the visuals that I'm... Yeah, I mean, I think it's more, like, traditional sort of, like, quote-unquote fantasy right right whereas yeah. like the drizzt books are more like hmm a little more i don't like, know i just love them both they're so different mm-hmm. uh, but i love them both they're so good man the first book like i, I finished um volume one of the Dragonlance chronicles over the weekend and man you are plowing through those things no man that one took me a lot longer than the drizzt books man because it's like i don't know 500 pages or something yeah, but dude, um, you've you, when you first discovered like you we first got into D and D several months ago, uh, <laughs> and then you and I were talking about the books, and I was like, man, these like the books with like drizzle in it, like uh, streams of silver, and what's the other one? Well, streams of silver is the sec is the, the second, second one, one. right? Um, oh yeah, uh, the crystal shard, crystal streams shard. of silver, and the halfling's gem. Yeah, you, I was kind of like pumping those up, and because I read them like way forever ago in middle school and you're like yeah cool i'm gonna get into these and how many have you read now seven jeez and then the icewind i mean not icewind the dragon lance book i've only read one of those but wow um yeah man they're really really good and it, it makes for a good sort of buffer in between dean playing D and stuff because yeah. you feel like you're in that world and mm-hmm. it's just really really well written you know yeah oh yeah well, cool. Uh, I've also been into Reno 911, uh, <laughs> which, yes. like I said before, it's like I'm an artist so uh, and or designer sometimes, I guess, but um, I'm always kind of like doing stuff. So I'm always on the hunt for like shows that I can just kind of have in the background and, um, mm-hmm. you know, I guess technically it would it would be sort of an anthology show. Like you could pretty yeah, much man, just you don't, any episode. You just start. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I've been watching in the background, um, and it's so funny, man. I love all those old shows that we used to be into and kind of getting back into them. Like, man, we used to watch Arrested Development. Oh, man. Like, every day in the tour van, Mm -hmm. right? And so um, I recently got back into into that show, man, and, God, it is just so so funny because, like, same for me, like, my day-to-day in, like, you know, sales or, or, you know, even any – of the sort of data entry stuff that I have to do sometimes Mm -hmm. Um, and like putting together proposals and stuff. I can't, you can't watch a movie or have a movie playing really in the background. So it's gotta be like something that's just kind of like you hear every now and then and it's kind of funny, you know, and Arrested Development is just, man, it's just so hilarious. Like every single character is hilarious. 
like the writing is hilarious. And I mean, gosh, man, uh, old Jessica Walter, the lady that played Lucille Bluth, um, mm-hmm. just recently passed away. So oh, horrible. that sucks, man. Yeah. But man, she's hilarious too. She's it's just so, so good, man. Yeah, that, that's such a funny show. I think it's, I, I, I think my wife Courtney hated it. Yeah. But I feel like she would like it if she could just like. Well, dude, when it, when it was on TV, on like Fox or whatever, yeah. I remember seeing like part of an episode and I was like, dude, this is garbage. Oh, me too. Because I, I didn't yeah. see like the pilot or whatever. I just didn't, for whatever reason at the time, just wasn't into it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely a show where you kind of have to like, you kind of have to get like the swing of like what they're doing and like mm-hmm. what they're aiming for. Because it's funny because it's like some stuff is so outlandish and just kind of <laughs> like just way over the top that you would think wouldn't be funny, you know? But then mm-hmm. it's it's kind of paired with this, like, super subtle, almost, like, subconscious humor, too, where it's, like, just, like, with, like, a, like Jason Bateman will just, like, mm-hmm. give a glance to, like, the camera, and, like, it's that sort of tongue-in-cheek stuff, but, oh, man, it is so brilliant. Like, the writing is just... It's just amazing. It's so illusions, good. Illusions, Dad. They're illusions. <laughs> Um, and then like how they always mess up Job's name, like in the very first episode, dude, there's this like thing where like he tries to put his dad in this, like, um, I think he called it like the ancient Aztec tomb. Oh, it's right. like a disappearing trick or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the news reporters like, and although a pretty good trick for a human, the dogs found him right away <laughs> and they show like how it's done. And he, and Job's like, um, Oh man, the Magicians Alliance is gonna probably frown on that. And then, as he's saying that, the reporter saying something along the lines of like, "And Bluth's son Gob." Um, so <laughs> yeah. she like completely mispronounces his name because it's spelled differently. And it's just man, little stuff like that that's just yeah, sprinkled throughout the show that is just so hilarious. Yeah, it's it's an amazing show. Well, cool. Well, you know what? Let's go to a break. And when we get back, since it is spring break and since we have had uh, a good bit of like new listeners coming on board, you know, we thought it would be cool to bring back some of the our time capsules from the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Tyler and I were talking, and you know, the downside of recording these really compelling stories is, I like every single time after we've completed the episode mm-hmm. and we published the episode, and it's all done, and we're super proud of it. Generally, we either find out something new oh, yeah. or want to talk more about, you know, that because as we do other other episodes, we end up kind of having a lot of things that like connect them all together. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted to, you know, take the time to pick out a couple of our favorite time capsules that we've done and, you know, talk about them, give you the chance to kind of hear them again and then kind of us sort of discuss some stuff. Yeah. Um, Kind of behind the scenes type stuff, yeah, and anything that we kind of figured out later, yeah, for sure. Um, After these messages, we'll be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. America's future can be determined by our dreams and our visions. It was very confused For over 200 years, there have been reports of giant man-like creatures. From another dimension, another world, I don't know. The most intriguing mystery on the North American continent. You're listening to That Would Be Rad. We've all been weary after a long day's travel. Not quite feeling like ourselves when we deplane at our destination. Maybe you've landed in a place or a country you've never been, or perhaps even one that you've been to many times. No matter what, the feeling of being tired and just wanting to get to your destination as soon as you can, I think is universal for all travelers. Sometimes airport security can seem overbearing or customs officials even intimidating, but they serve an important purpose in all of our safety. But what if when you arrived and presented your identification or passport, you were met with a blank expression of mystery and intrigue? What if the airport customs official had never heard of where you just came from, a place that you'd been traveling from successfully without any issues all of your life? What if you found out you just flew from a place that they're telling you doesn't exist? The place you call home. On a scorching hot summer's day in July 1954, a passenger airline touched down at Haneda Airport in Tokyo, Japan. It was late afternoon, the sun still high in the sky, and beaming down as the passengers disembarked, the heat waves shimmering across the tarmac. They were mostly Japanese, perhaps returning from a vacation or visiting other parts of the world, but there were several European travelers as well. Nothing in particular that would have stood out as strange to any of the fellow airport travelers or even the Japanese customs officials. To them even, it was probably just another normal day at the office. However, one passenger did catch their attention. A slender, well-dressed European man with a slight beard, carrying a nice leather briefcase along with his luggage, stepped up next at the customs counter. The customs official took his normal-looking and appropriately worn passport The man's primary language was French, although he spoke Japanese very well, as well as several other languages. When asked, he told the officials in Japanese that he was there on business. They, of course, had zero reason to disbelieve him. He didn't appear to be a tourist. As the customs official looked down at his passport, that's when things 
took a bizarre turn. The passport had several travel stamps from several different nations, including Japan. There was nothing about the passport that looked fake or counterfeit. What stood out and struck the official as odd, however, was his country of origin. Emblazoned on his passport in bold lettering was the name Tarid. The official, nor his nearby officials whom he called over, recognized this name. They didn't doubt, however, the authenticity or validity of the passport. They did pull him aside for clarification and to allow the building customs line to keep moving. They then asked the man to follow them into a small side office used for interviews not unlike this one, so they could begin further questioning and clarification. The man, who was polite, cooperated willingly. They asked him for other forms of identification, which he happily obliged and calmly handed over, showing that he was, in fact, a citizen of a country named Tarid. He also presented currency and banknotes issued by his homeland, which again, didn't look counterfeit at all. Confused but completely intrigued and curious, the Japanese customs officials placed a map of the world on the table. They slid it over to the man and asked him to point out where his country was located. He smugly agreed, smiling, no doubt beginning to get slightly frustrated at the charade the officials were putting him through. Pulling the map closer to himself so he could quickly show them, his smug expression changed immediately to one of confusion and then shock. He pointed to an area right on the border between France and Spain where the modern-day principality of Andera is currently, saying that this is where his homeland should have been. In a confused, somewhat frantic voice, he declared that the kingdom of Tared was over a thousand years old and that there was no reason it wouldn't be on any standard world map. He also claimed this was his third trip to Japan that year. He'd made similar trips over the past five years and had never encountered any problems at customs before. He again pointed to the country stamps on his passport as evidence of these trips. Beginning to get frustrated, he asked the officials to call the company he was visiting or to call the hotel where he had a reservation or even to call his company who could verify who he was. The officials, also becoming equally agitated, called the company he claimed he was visiting who said that they had never heard of him. Looking up the company he worked for, they discovered didn't exist. And calling the hotel where he had made a reservation, they couldn't find under his name. At this point, his confusion and perhaps even amusement had quickly turned to anger. He began accusing the staff of pulling an elaborate joke at his expense. He then demanded to see government officials immediately so they could clear the matter up and he could be on his way. Since they couldn't detain him indefinitely in this small office, 
They agreed to let him stay at the airport hotel on one of the top floors while he waited for the government officials and authorities to arrive. Two guards were placed outside the door of the room under strict orders to not let the man leave under any circumstances. He was served a meal and reportedly took a nap. But when the government officials arrived later that evening, they knocked on his door and found there was no response. Asking the guards to open the room, upon entering, the man from Tarid and all his belongings had vanished without a trace. The guards, of course, were strongly questioned and they maintained that no one had come in or out the room except room service for the meal. They had never left their post and the only other exit was from a sealed, ledgeless window that was six floors above the road below. The fall alone would have killed anyone that attempted that jump not to mention broken the window glass and left shards of evidence behind. Although obviously baffled by this entire encounter, no one, including the authorities, ever saw this man again. Who was this man from Tared? How did he possibly vanish from a duly guarded room on the sixth floor of a hotel? One theory is that He was an unwitting interdimensional traveler who came from a reality not too unlike our own, with, of course, at least one obvious difference, his homeland of Tarid. When he awoke from his nap, did he wake up back in his dimension of origin, in another hotel room, confused, that perhaps it was all just a dream? Did he then spend the rest of his life wondering about that vivid dream, never quite sure if it had ever actually happened? Maybe he ended up reporting his experience in his universe, perhaps the legend even being told right now on a podcast much like this one. Uh, first thing I have to say, which <laughs> we talked about this back uh, when we recorded that, is that hello at the end sounds exactly like me. I know, man. When it, whenever I put it in there, even like even later, and and that's something that I kind of wanted to talk about before we get into like any of the crazy stuff about the man from Tara that we kind of have maybe new theories or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like that was, you know where I was kind of really sort of stretching my legs in terms of sound design. And I mean, there's like stuff that I think even the listener hearing it again, potentially, I don't even, I think it's impossible for them to pick up. Like that's actual like airport ambience from a Japanese airport. Yeah. uh, That's buried in there. There is wasted time to the, to the casual listener. Yeah. 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 (laughs) I mean, uh, but I love that kind of stuff, man. I love like when we have a story, like building the sound design, finding all of the stuff that's going to just really kind of make the story mm-hmm. even more uh, entertaining and stuff. Yeah. And, and it's also where I kind of dabbled uh, with a little bit of uh, voice acting. So if you <laughs> notice, like <laughs> the man from Tarred, his, uh, I gave him a little bit of an accent. And I don't really know 
from where or whatever. Yeah. But like listening back to it, it kind of made me laugh a little bit because I was like, that's impossible. I don't even know how I did it. It's well, just hey, I mean, nobody else knows either, so. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's probably, it sounded like it was the man from yeah, Tarot, right? it's exactly accurate. Exactly. Yeah, I, I got to say, I mean, and this is something that we never really, I don't think we've talked about it all, but mm-hmm. um, you do such an amazing job with like, the sort of creating this sort of like bed, this soundscape um, for, you know, for all of our time capsules that it's really amazing. And I think it's one of the things that sort of sets us apart as a podcast. Well, I appreciate but yeah, it, bro. You're fantastic. Thanks, man. It's it's super fun, man. It's, All right, it's, folks. Um, well, we'll see. <clears throat> that's it anyway. Um, no, like it, it is so much fun, like I said, to like as we are discussing a story or whatever, I'm just like making pages and pages of things that I want to hear, mm-hmm. you know, when they're happening. So like in other episodes, like if you go back and you listen to the Halloween spooktacular, like the Halloween special mm-hmm. where we tell our own kind of spooky stories and have guests uh, come on and tell theirs. Yep. Like I wanted to place, I always want to place the listener right where we're talking about, right? you know? And so like whenever that's how I approach it, I want it to, I want you to almost just feel like you're there, you know? And so sometimes I think it, it, it kind of stinks in in a way that people may listen to it in a car because even then you might be able to hear some of the, almost like, well, truly like three-dimensional um, sound design that I do. Yeah. But, you know, if you get a chance to put on some headphones and listen to those time capsules, it's a whole nother world. I mean, you'll oh, hear yeah. things that you might not have the first time around. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the thing that's interesting about The Man from Tarred, that was like our second sort of story that we told on the podcast. Mm-hmm. But after that, I feel like, Almost every story in some way since then kind of, you know, has some connective tissue, as you've said before, like Mm -hmm. to it. You know, I mean, like everything from the one that we're going to hear next and... uh, John Teeter. Yeah, John Teeter. Even some little bit Mandela effect. Oh, Um, yeah. You know, because, I mean, he he literally came from a place that had like a different name that didn't exist in our world. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, so there's like some, is he a time traveler? Is he multidimensional? Uh, is he part of the Mandela effect? Well, uh, I, I definitely think he's multidimensional. I, I think the thing for me is, th- that's so interesting about this is like, and, and this isn't the only one. I mean, there's tons and tons of stories and accounts, you know, some unverified, but others that are like really true where these people, and again, this is kind of the interesting part is like, these people just kind of wake up and they're, or like something just clicks and all of a sudden they're in these other, um, mm-hmm. you know, realities or dimensions or whatever, which is just fascinating. I mean, there's there's one where I think this woman was in like the 80s, maybe, maybe even early 90s where, and you can, again, you can find it online, but she, she wakes up and notices that her husband isn't in the bed with her. You know, wakes up on a morning, her alarm goes off, I think, uh, wakes up to go to work and realizes that her husband isn't there. Hmm. Uh, she's calling his name, looking around. She starts to notice that like things are different around the house. Like she's not seeing his clothes in the hamper in the bathroom. She's not like there's certain pic- you know pictures that are like missing. Then she she doesn't really think anything about it. She, oh, she realizes that he's his name isn't in her phone. Ends up going to work and 
once she get there gets there, she realizes that she's the head. She she's like a supervisor over the position that she was in this other life. So like there's all these really bizarre things, but but she kind of goes nuts. Like it it drives her kind of crazy. And I, I wanna say she had to be, you know, admitted or whatever. Yeah, I think we talked about this specific one on on the, the episode? Yeah, on the episode. Oh, I okay, cool. Well, yeah. we'll just cut um, it out, I guess. No, no, no. Or we just talked about it in general. That's the thing. You know, that's another thing like uh, is a consequence of kind of like making these sort of quote unquote like final and and, Mm -hmm. and publishing them as an episode is like you kind of forget like other stories that are similar that you talked about on the on the show. But dude, the funny full circle kind of thing here is do you remember that episode of The Office? It was like a cold open where Jim and Pam played a prank on Dwight by inviting like Jim, one of Jim's friends, uh, who was played by um, oh the dude Jimmy Woo, yeah, from WandaVision. Yep. And uh, basically, they just acted they, like they replaced pictures, yeah, that like family amazing. pictures that Dwight like was used to, and acted like Jim and Pam. And he's like, "What are you talking about, Dwight?" I mean, what an awesome prank! But yeah, it kind of reminded me of that like sort of man from Tarhead stuff, and and. Um, you know, I think too. There's some commonality with um, our episode from last week when you talked about the um, everyday chemistry. Oh, I'm so glad you and that guy that, that um, you know brought back potentially some some new uh, or different Beatles music that mm-hmm. exists in a uh, in a parallel or other uh, universe dimension, whatever you want to call. It. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it again. It's all this like cohesive synchronistic uh, kind of yeah man i mean yeah. it's just nuts yeah one thing that we we've well woody and i've always kind of had this where uh you and i both are of the belief that like you know when you're having all these sort of synchronicities when all these things are kind of lining up it's almost kind of like the hand of god sort of pushing you in the right direction um that's kind of how I've, I've always looked at it but especially since we've we started the podcast it's like it's just this constant, constant, uh, mm-hmm. you know, synchronicity. Like all of our stories somehow tie into another story, and mm-hmm. it's pretty amazing. It's pretty. Yeah. It, I mean, it's well, and of, and it's even more amazing because I think on the outside looking in, it could just be like, well, all their episodes seem to tie in together really quick. I mean, really well. And it's mm-hmm. like, man, it's actually kind of luck because sometimes we're like. Oh, yeah. oh, man, I really want to talk about this or, oh, yeah, I remember this, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's funny because you completely surprised me with that, you know, topic last week with Everyday Chemistry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we didn't mention it uh, when we recorded the episode, but, like, shortly after when we were talking about this oh, and after I'd awesome. gone back and, like, listened to the music and, and that kind of thing, like, the thing that, like, hit me almost immediately was, okay, look, I don't know, like listening to the music and being a huge Beatles fan, it does, and you mentioned this in the episode, it does sort of sound like somebody did a really awesome job of mixing together solo Beatles stuff Mm -hmm. and less known Beatles songs and then kind of like mixed them all together. But what it reminded me of was the, um, the Beatles album that came out for the Cirque du Soleil. Love. Yeah, love, mm-hmm. right? And because we, we, I don't remember if it was on the episode or when you and I were just talking, it's like, it's so good that someone would have had to have had access to the masters. The masters. Yeah. And 
listener, when we're talking about the masters, basically what that means is every single individual track, whenever they're, whenever you're laying down music, is like an individual thing. You'd have to have that in order to isolate just right. that performance to use it in something else, right? Mm-hmm. So that there's no like bleed over. If you're trying to mix like Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, um, that song with like, I don't know, Yesterday or something like that, mm-hmm. it would just sound like a jumbled mess because yeah. you'd have all the instruments playing if you're just, you know, trying to mix the songs together. But if you had the individual tracks, you could do a lot of stuff, even m- making the vocals uh, as they were sung fit into a melody that didn't quite fit by like being able to change the pitch of the of the vocals, right. all, all kinds of stuff, right? Yeah. So we basically came to the agreement that, okay, if this was fake and not like from another dimension, then they would have to have had the masters because it's just so well done that they had to have that access to make it so isolated and make it all fit. Yeah. Well, then timing-wise, I started thinking like, okay, I remember that George Martin and his son were the ones that went in and remixed all those songs for that Love album that, you know, they used for, you know, the Cirque du, uh, Cirque du Soleil or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I started thinking, you know, they would be the ones because they were the ones that, I mean, George Martin was like the Beatles producer yeah. the entire time. I mean, they, they called him the fifth Beatle. Yeah, man. He's he's brilliant. Yeah. Although, fun fact, uh, Eleanor Rigby, the strings part, he actually didn't produce mm. because Paul McCartney got a little big for his bridges, but yeah. uh, also just kind of impatient and didn't want to wait for, I think the scheduling was kind of weird. And so he just went in and recorded it and conducted the orchestra and everything and mixed it the way that he wanted to. And I mean, it awesome. always kind of like made uh, George Martin mad. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, man, that's an incredible arrangement. Yeah. Um, I mean, I do got to say that Paul version one never would have done that. Yeah, probably not. That, <laughs> what an imposter. Yeah, the, the imposter Paul. Kind but of anyway, the timing lines up to where our theory, again, if it's not, uh, you know, truly from another dimension, this, mm-hmm. this album, mm-hmm. the theory then is somebody maybe an engineer somebody that had access after hours or something could probably have uh i don't want to say steal but you know gotten yeah used those master copies to be able to do something like this or it's just some audio engineer that's just amazing at what they do and in either case it's pretty awesome yeah no it's it really is amazing and honestly i mean dude the the whole album is pretty good i mean yeah there there's one or two songs that that clearly kind of sound like a mashup that's that yeah even the first one that's the one i'm talking about mainly yeah but then it's weird because like sick to death which is my favorite on the whole album it's such a bizarre song Mm -hmm. and and you know kind of what woody was talking about is like you know you'll go in the comment section on youtube and and you know everybody will be like oh well no this uh, you know, this song was used, this song was used, this song was used. So you go to like listen to the songs and it's not only like a pitch thing because it's pretty easy to go in and like transpose, uh, you know, say say Woody goes in and, and sings a part and then we decide, mm-hmm. oh man, like, you know, we'd rather have that in the key of D instead of the key of C. Well then it'll sound a little weird, but I mean, you can transpose it to the key that you want. Mm-hmm. But the thing that's weird about, this album as a whole, and I looked at, uh, even after I, I kind of continued to like look up certain parts. Sorry, hit my mic. 
these parts are like slightly different. Like some, yes, some of them sound pretty close. Like, yeah, maybe the pitch was taken, but, but then there's other things where it, it sounds like it was saying completely different, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, that kind of even leads to uh, the credibility of, I mean, it, which did th- that or like maybe, you know, cause another thing that the listener might not know is, you know, whenever you go in to sing, now, except for me, whenever I was singing vocals, I basically got it, you know, first take. That's every what, time. That, that was the keeper. Mm-hmm. Same on guitar. Yeah. <laughs> no, but um, like you're gonna you're gonna sing it a couple different times, and and each time, even if you try your just absolute best, you're still not gonna sing it exactly the same way. The yeah. inflections of your voice, the way your your the tone of your vocals. There's going to be little things off. Now you can get really, really close. Well, and but even still, it's going to be a little different. And so sometimes, any average listener would maybe never know the difference. Yeah, would maybe never know the difference. But like sometimes they might, you know, like the way you emphasize a certain word or something like that. So it, it again, like playing sort of like the opposite side of what you're saying. Like they would also have to have the copies of all of those takes so that they can right. use those takes no, that's, to that's, make it sound different, which is really, really cool if you think about it. Yeah, no, that, that's where I was going actually with that is I think I think somebody, whoever did this, they had to have the masters because some of the stuff... It sounded is, like you just said they had to have a mattress. <laughs> they had to have a mattress. No, they had to have uh, the masters. And not only that, but but again, some of these ma- some of these, these isolated vocals, isolated guitar parts, whatever... They're just, I mean, they're just different. They're played different. They're sang different. So our theory is that, and again, maybe maybe we're totally wrong, and maybe it was a multidimensional thing, but th- this is equally fascinating that, mm-hmm. well, maybe uh, George Martin, maybe his son, who would have all the masters and who would have this massive archive and library of B-sides and alternate takes. I mean, the Stones and the Beatles would do that. They would have like... I used to work with a guy named Roby in a studio and uh, when I was recording in L.A. before Woody and I started our band. And um, he had worked on Bridges to Babylon and a bunch of Rolling Stone stuff. And he said that they would, they would do this thing where, you know, they, they would have a song. And then they would say, okay, well, let's record the Nashville version. Mm-hmm. And it would be like, okay, well, let's take the song, but let's play it, take out all the minors, and let's do like a country tuning and and kind of make it sound as country. Okay, well, let's do the this other version or this other version. So I feel like whoever did this had access to that kind of stuff, like those mm-hmm. alternate take And versions. since it's the Beatles, you know that stuff is kept under oh, lock and yeah. key. So it had to be somebody in there. And, you know, like it didn't necessarily have to be George Martin's son, and I'm, his name's kind of escaping me now, but mm-hmm. like it could have been like an engineer because oftentimes too the producer will come in, they'll work real hard all day long, the engineer's left to like, bounce the tracks all night or, right. or whatever it is. And that engineer, although trusted, could do something like this for oh, fun, yeah. for, mm-hmm. you know, no profit, and um, and kind of escape sort of legal legal troubles. Mm-hmm. Well, um, well, and even, you know, and I think we were talking about this before, even if if it was George Martin or George Martin's son, it would, it again sort of lends to nobody ever coming out and admitting it because while it's really cool you know, you would get a rain of hellfire of of legal oh, yeah. problems. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Especially yeah, sure. if it was, 
him who had the masters and it's like mm-hmm. you know that'd be a big deal yeah for sure man it's still cool though yeah all right man i want to jump to the next time capsule this mm-hmm. is still to date one of my favorite ones it's one that i think about quite often and just listening back to it creeps me out so listener get ready enjoy one afternoon in may of 1973 a young girl and her friend decided to go explore a local golf course in their small town called Sandown, which was located just off the southeastern coast of the Isle of Wight. As they laughed and played and no doubt enjoyed the weather that day, they both began to hear a weird wailing noise in the distance. A noise they would later describe as being somewhat like an ambulance siren. Deciding to move closer to the sound to find out what it was, or at least where it was coming from, they followed it across the golf links and through a hedge leading to a swampy meadow adjacent to a little-used local airport, the Sandown Airport. The noise stopped. As they began to cross a wooden footbridge over a small, narrow brook, a blue-gloved hand appeared from underneath the bridge, and a strange figure emerged. The figure fumbled with a book in its hands and then dropped it into the water, and then, almost in a panic, splashed around to retrieve it. The two children then watched the figure enter a metallic hut, similar to those used on building sites, except that it had no windows. It moved along with a strange, almost artificial hopping motion with its knees raised high. The children, thinking nothing of it really, began to wander off and were about 50 yards away when the figure reappeared carrying a black knob microphone with a white flexible cord attached. the wailing noise immediately returned. This time being so loud that the young boy was scared and began to run away. The noise stopped, and the figure spoke into the microphone. Hello? Are you still there? He asked. And although pretty far off from the children, they could hear his voice as clearly as though he were right next to them. And in response to what they considered to be a friendly tone, they walked closer so that they could speak to the oddly attired person or creature. He was nearly seven feet tall and had no neck, and his head appeared to be wedged straight onto his shoulders. He wore a yellow pointed hat, which interlocked with the red collar of a green tunic. A round black knob was affixed to the top of his hat, and wooden antennae were attached to either side. The face had triangular markings for eyes, a brown square of a nose, and motionless yellow lips. Other round markings were on his paper-white cheeks, and a fringe of red hair fell onto his forehead. Wooden slats protruded from his sleeves and from below his white trousers. His first communication was in writing. He wrote in a notebook, and in large handwriting, he wrote, Hello, 
I am all colors, Sam. The young boy was pretty hesitant, but Faye read each word as it was pointed to. I am all colors, Sam. This was necessary as the words were not laid out in a conventional sequence. The children ventured closer and discovered that the creature could talk without the aid of the microphone, though his lips did not move and speech was unclear, rather like that of a person who does not open his mouth properly. He asked the children about themselves, so they ventured to ask questions too. They asked about his clothes, which were all ripped and shredded. Why are your clothes so torn? Then he told them he only had this one pair, so he could only wear these. Because of his strange white features, they asked, Are you really a man? <laughs> no. They also asked, Well then, are you a ghost? In which he answered vaguely, Well, not really, but I am in an odd sort of way. Well, what exactly are you then? They continued, but only obtained the answer, You know. With no further explanation. He said that there were others like him, but he also confided that he was frightened of people and scared that they might hurt him. Apparently, if attacked, he would not fight back. At his invitation, the children crawled through a flap in his hut, which contained two levels. The lower level had plenty of headroom and was wallpapered in blue-green and covered with pattern of dials. It also had an electric heater and simple wooden furniture. He told the children that he fed upon berries, which he collected in the late afternoon. This is what I eat. They are safe. He didn't say where, but did indicate that he had a camp on the mainland he could go to. He also said that the water from the river could be drunk once he had cleaned it. Once inside the hut, he removed his hat to reveal round, white ears and sparse brown hair. Before eating a berry, he performed an odd conjuring trick. Here, let me show you. He placed the berry in his ear, thrust his head forward, and caused the berry to disappear and reappear at one of his eyes. Repeating the process, the berry traveled to his mouth. The children talked to the strange being for a half hour or slightly more. And then, after saying their goodbyes, the children rushed across the golf course to tell the first man they could find that they had just seen what they thought was a ghost. Who was this creature, this Sam? Perhaps an alien from another planet. Or a creature from another dimension? Was he a ghost? Or was he a man playing an elaborate prank on two youngsters dressed as a strange robotic clown? Or was he just the creation of a young girl's overactive imagination? Since that day in 1973, there have been no more reports of any sightings of Sam the Sandown ghost clown. 
Perhaps one day you'll be walking along and you'll hear... Hello? Are you still there? Man, I still absolutely love that time capsule. It, mm. I know that we said it on the episode, and I think we've even said it multiple times since, but this is such an amazing and just the visuals of the story are just so mm-hmm. wild that like neither, number one, neither of us had ever heard of it. And, mm. and again, like I, I kind of am in deep on all this stuff. And so this is one of those high strangeness stories where, I mean, it has all the, the amazing, the, the components to make it mm-hmm. just just like super fun and entertaining well, and, and, but also how, and just nuts. How is it not more widely known? Because it is yeah. so kind of nuts and colorful and visual and but God, it's it's just incredible. Yeah, man. And again, going like as far as sound design goes, man, this one, you know, I I mean this I wish I could find a picture of the amount of tracks and mm. and this one has I think the time capsule to date even that took me the longest mm. um in terms of sound design because like I wanted it to I, it took me a long time to get like I wanted Sam's voice to be, you know, weird but not scary. Right. And you know, because listening back to the story, it's like the children weren't scared of him. You know, I wanted it to sound like one of the descriptors was like it sounded as if like someone was talking and their mouth like couldn't close, right? So he has that open mouth thing. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to be robotic and somewhat alien and 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 like but deep and like uh, so that was fun because like all of the different things that I would do to affect uh, my voice would kind of change the performance a little bit. And mm-hmm. so once I found the sound that I wanted, I kind of had to like go back and like sort of quote unquote like re-perform those lines and mm-hmm. stuff. But still, man, the one that still blows my mind and in fact like so many of our friends and listeners like messaged us after we released this episode initially and they were like, dude – where like who was the little girl that you guys got to play the, say those things and i was like <laughs> that was me yeah. if you're listening to my voice right now it's kind of hard to imagine that i could make my voice sound like that yeah. i mean now i gotta i don't want to pat myself on the back too much here but like the british accent mm-hmm. the fact you Very know all good. that stuff man and like listening back to it I, it's, it's, it even amazes me. I'm like, my gosh, that sounds just like a little like British girl. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing, man. And it was so much fun to do. Like all the texture sounds and stuff, like when they talk about him like going across the bridge or the mm-hmm. way that he walked, that was a fun one to create, you know, that sound and kind of, you know, if again, if you're using headphones, you can hear him doing that weird high step mm-hmm. from like one ear all the way around to the other ear. And it was just, man, so yeah. much fun. So much fun to do that. Yeah, th- that was an episode where as soon as as uh, as you sent it back to for me to like start mixing and, and working on that, it was like, okay, Woody's like, it's it's bump. We're up to another level now. <laughs> yeah. We've leveled up. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's an amazing, amazing, amazing episode. The story's just cool, but like, yeah, the sound design on that one is, is uh, mm-hmm. you know, it still stands up as, as one of the best. Um, and, you know, one of the things that came out right after we did that episode, well, I guess like several episodes later, we were reminded of, and go back and listen to this episode 
if you get a chance, but the Night of the Harlequin, mm. you know, and and the possibility that Sam the the the, the Sandown Ghost Clown perhaps is kind of like one of those like Harlequin elemental yeah. sort of beings. Um, and then also maybe is he a time traveler? Is he like a John Teeter situation? Yeah. Was that John? I mean, man, this happened in like the seventies. Yeah. John Teeter came back for, you know, maybe he over like, I don't know, man, it starts to just kind of make me a little dizzy because it, <laughs> it's like, uh, it's just, it's just amazing, man. I mean, we kind of touched on it too. Like the, the experiences her dad had, yeah, um, yeah. you know, pre, like in prior years where there was like this giant craft in the ocean that he like saw, mm-hmm. f- f- you know, come on up out of the water and then just like it was in the water and then it just like disappears underwater and stuff. Um, well, and, and before that, there was a thing where like basically these sort of like balls of light were following him in his car. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, but I and and I think this does add credibility to the story. Is like all these accounts that the dad had, he he never told anybody this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Even even it was new to the daughter when he finally kind of broke and and mm-hmm. started talking about it. So that's that's really cool. And I think it does kind of tie in with that sort of generational thing where. Whatever these things are, whether they're aliens or interdimensional or elementals or ghosts or whatever, you know, there is an element of this sort of family sort of bond or connection. Yeah, Yeah, where, you know, if this thing's going to follow the dad, then more than likely it's going to follow the daughter and and just continue, which is pretty scary, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, speaking of uh, the sound design, there's, there's another podcast that we really like. Uh, called The Belief Hole. Great podcast. Three brothers do the show. And they actually, and you know, this was much later after we had done Sam the Sandown Clown. They had done this episode and they, they were kind of covering this book called Disembodied, Disembodied Voices by Tim Marchinko. It's spelled M-A-R-C-Z-E-N-K-O. And this book is, neither of us have read it. Uh, I'm probably going to order it here soon. But the whole book is kind of about that uh, the concept of he kind of has this phrase I think throughout the book called the lure the trap and the lost so it's like this this sort of siren song or this this thing that's like trying to lure people in I mean you know you think of um, with the Harlequin it would just show up in this kid's room Dan Mitchell's room it would say it was a tooth fairy and try to like play with him with Sam you know it stuck this three-fingered glove out from under this bridge and was like shaking it around to like lure the kid da- kids down. And I mean, not, you know, obviously nothing, well, we we don't know, but we think nothing really happened from what we're told in the story. You know, he didn't do anything that was sort of maleficent or, or bad or anything to the kids, but it's this, uh, they, they kind of talk about how all these things tie in with, and they, they talk about this, this sort of phenomenon being called the Leshy or the Neshi or the Nishi. And it, links back and ties all the way back to like the god pan and and all this stuff and you know then it further goes into like the missing 411 and all that kind of stuff but like the thing that blew my mind when i heard this particular episode and we'll put it in the show notes their episode it's a great episode but they they're talking about how these you know the nishi or whatever these things that were trying to like lure people 
off into the distance. I mean, kind of like, you know, you even think of uh, like the Will of the Wisps. You know, they were supposedly they would lure, you know, these little ball of li- balls of light would, you know, lure travelers off the trail and then they would just disappear. And so they really break down really well the idea of like, okay, well, what would these things be doing now? How would these things translate into the modern age? And so uh, the the writer of the book, uh, the Tim Marchenko guy, you know, he had, uh, one of the things that caused him to write the book was he had an event when he was a kid and he kept hearing these like, these like beeps in the forest. And like almost like calling to him from the forest. Yeah, almost like, like, you know, your curiosity would be like, oh, what's that? Where's that coming from? And then, mm-hmm. you know, he would go out. And then he said that later in life, kind of the same thing. And he, he would hear like, there was one sort of a encounter with this this thing where he would hear like, it sounded like just a recorded message mm-hmm. that was in the woods and it kept repeating the same thing. And it was in the voice of like his girlfriend mm-hmm. uh, who clearly wasn't out in the woods in the middle of the night. And it's this idea that like, you know, these beeps and this sort of digital sort of aspect of it. I think uh, Timothy Renner over on the Strange Familiars podcast, I think he's had an encounter like that where you would hear these like beeps and, you know, is that what it would look like in, you know, 2021? Is You know, instead of being like a little light that we would follow off the trail or instead of being whatever. Um, it does seem, dude, that's interesting that you say it like that because like it does seem like it is intelligent enough to know like for example when you said light falling in the woods it makes me think of like the will of the wisps or something right and it's like you go back to like 1600s a little light you know flickering in the woods would be like not alarming but it would be interesting enough for somebody to go investigate right you put like some kind of like mechanical sound and you know, whatever in the 1600s, they they're going to run like hell. Yeah, right? you know? But yeah. like nowadays, it's kind of like, so in other words, like those things kind of evolve mm-hmm. almost like intelligently to know like, oh, this is just enough to where it won't be a terrifying thing for like a kid or whatever. Yeah. You know, oh. Yeah, man. it's, it's. Didn't he say too in that podcast it was like one of the recorded voice like it sounded like his dad was calling him? Yeah, that was another one. He was like playing basketball as the sun was going yeah, down. That's it. And he kept hearing his dad would say, Son, come help me. And he was like in the woods. And then it would like repeat itself. But it, it you know, it was basically like the same recording. It's Terminator two, bro. <laughs> it's Skynet. Um you remember that part when he's like, uh um John Connor's on the phone, he's talking to his like step parents and the dog's barking in the background. He's like, mm. he like covers the phone. And he looks at the terminator. He's like, the dog's really barking. Honey, are you okay? I'm right here. I'm fine. Are you sure? Are you sure you're all right? What's the dog's name? Max. Hey, Janelle. What's wrong with Wolfie? I can hear him barking. Is he okay? Wolfie's fine, honey. Wolfie's just fine. What are you? If first the parents are dead. um but yeah that you know the reason i bring that episode up is it kind of like it it, i came to this realization uh, listening that kind of blew me away and and again this could this could have no relation at all but you know thinking of of this sort of uh, digital evolution of whatever this thing is the nishi the leshy the whatever is this luring thing 
my situation when I had the, the missing time when I worked in the operating room of a hospital. And I never thought of it. I mean, we did Sam the Sandown Clown. We did the Heart Night of the Harlequin episode. And like, I never put two and two together. But when I was listening to this podcast, like, you know, when I, I'm in the operating room and, you know, we're about to move a patient. And so like, you know, you have the top doctors, some of the higher, highest doctors in the nation, you know, are like beside me, the nurses. I mean, it's like a real serious situation. And all I remember was my radio made like a beep and then went, and then what I remember again, I don't, you know, maybe it's like a screen memory or something, but what I remember was moving and turnover in some other room. And that was the last thing I remember. But then, you know, when I talked to my buddy Ernie, who was the other ORA or assistant that was helping me move the patient from the bed to the table, he said, you know, what he saw is he saw, I just kind of like set down the thing that I had in my, set down the sheet and the little roller thing that were in my hands. Mm-hmm. I just set it back down and then I just kind of looked at the door and just walked straight to the door out. And so it's like, was that part of this thing? That mm-hmm. that digital sound, whatever just kind of maybe like mesmerized me or hypnotized me, like whatever that was, was that tied into this? I mean, yeah. it's crazy. Dude, have I ever told you about the drum beats that we hear, like that we've heard since we moved into this house for like years and years? No. Oh my gosh, dude. No joke. You know, the first couple of years we lived in this house, we thought someone like across the the kind of like, like the valley, valley. like a creek and valley in my backyard that leads to the lake or whatever. The, uh, we thought maybe it's just like a high school kid like practicing for drum line. Mm-hmm. And then after that, we thought, well, maybe we can hear the drumline practicing from the high school football field, mm-hmm. which is kind of a stretch. Yeah, that's because it's like pretty two far. and a half miles away, yeah. three miles. Um, but still, maybe. And then we, you know, we've been here long enough to where that kid would have graduated by now. <laughs> and it's generally around, and it's like at weird times. Sometimes it's like in the afternoon. Sometimes it's like at 10 in the morning on a weekday and you hear this like, doom, 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 doom. I mean, it's like Jumanji, man. I'm not joking, Whoa. but like far in the distance. And so we thought, are we hearing like ancient Native American drums? Mm-hmm. Is it someone that's just like messing around? The only thing now, our newest theory, is that it is some sort of like drum beat over at the Olympic rowing venue that's used to pace the rowers. That's the only thing we can think about. Surely, I mean... Is that even a I mean, thing, wh- though? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They'll have somebody playing drums. Well, I don't know if they have somebody playing drums, but they have, like, on the loudspeaker. To be honest with you, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, I mean, all this stuff, dude, is so crazy. And it, and it does, like, I feel like we never have enough time, really, to, like, go even in more depth. Right, but I think yeah. it was a good, like, idea for us to kind of revisit these. And, frankly, like, we're so, like, we're so proud of them mm-hmm. and... And every time we do, every time I work on these time capsules, for example, it's like I can't wait until everybody hears them just because they're so fun to make. And, well, I mean, frankly, we just put so much time into it, you know. But uh, there's just so many connections. Like, it's just, I, don't, I don't know. It's just mind-blowing. Like, I feel like um, is Sam the Send Down Ghost Clown, you know, like a pan figure? Is mm-hmm. he 
a time traveler? Is he like what if it's just like somebody that accidentally got into a time machine and is just like, huh? Yeah. You know, um, I don't or like maybe it's an intelligent robot but you know, the Skynet sent back and that's the first Terminator version. Yeah, with wooden uh, antennas. Yeah, with wooden antenna. antenna. But yeah, I mean, we also have like a ton more that I can't wait to kind of dive into, like And there's many more to come and to be made. Yeah, I mean, hopefully, mm-hmm. like like we said, we know you've more than likely heard these. If this is your first time listening to the show, then you got kind of a bonus treat. You got two back-to-back time capsules, yeah. two really fascinating stories, uh, a little bit of behind the scenes on, on you know, making them and our uh, kind of renewed interest in, in those topics and how they relate to the episodes that we've done recently. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I do encourage you to kind of go back and, and listen to all of our episodes because we do kind of we, we do have several just very interesting tales that um, that we know you'll you'll love oh yeah so like we say week after week thank you guys so much for thank you guys for coming out thank you guys so much for uh, you know listening and mostly too like interacting with us outside of the the times that you're listening to the show or even sometimes while you're listening to it you know it's just awesome to get like messages from listeners, even just like kind words about how you enjoyed the episode every single week. It just, it just means so much to us and we love it. Yeah. So definitely don't stop doing that. You know, be sure to check out our merchandise at our merch shop. You can go there very easily by just clicking the link in our bio on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you can just go to shop.spreadshirt.com slash that would be rad. Yeah. And Tyler... Where can people interact with us the most? Well, you know, the bulk of our social media presence is uh, at Instagram. That would be rad. If you have anything to, you know, any messages, feel free to DM us. If it's more long form, feel free to shoot it to uh, that would be rad pod at Gmail. Not to derail the closing here, but <laughs> what you said, Woody, with sometimes like we can tell that our listeners are are listening like, as the podcast comes out, or the, you know, the day they're released, yeah. Uh, our buddy Clay, <laughs> it's awesome. You can tell, like, he'll like comment something, and then he'll do like another comment. So it's almost like you can tell like where he is in the in episode. the episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I it's love awesome. that. Uh, but yeah, you know, like what he said, week after week, we appreciate you guys coming back. Uh, we couldn't do it without you. So we appreciate you. We thank you for everything. We love you, and as always, be red. That's the way it
time where I just needed some sunshine You were already dead before you became a ghost You are 